Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to talk to Dr. Pamela Brown, who is a recently appointed cardiology consultant from South Tees NHS Trust in Middlesbrough in the north of England. We're talking today about the transition from trainee to attending or consultant in the UK. And Pamela shares some insights from her own journey, things to be aware of and to look out for, and tips for surviving and thriving during that transition phase. We talk about managing email, uh, working with secretaries, we talk about workload, job planning, and how to get the best out of a consultant job, and things to be aware of as you move from a trainee position to a consultant position. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. If you do, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you very much. So I might start off by asking you to introduce yourself for the heart audience. Uh, where do you work and who are you and what do you do? So my name is Pamela Brown. Um, I'm a consultant cardiologist at James Cook Hospital in Middlesbrough. Um, my subspecialty interest is in cardiac imaging, specifically cardiac MRI and advanced echo. I also contribute to the Heart Failure Service and I uh, lead the Heart Disease and Pregnancy Clinic. And Dr. Brown, I want to first of all thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, the reason I wanted to to talk to you today was really to go over some of the issues that people sometimes face when they come towards the end of their training and are looking for consultant jobs. And then when, when they are appointed to a consultant job, that sort of first you know one or two years uh, and some things maybe to look out for and tips and tricks for trainees, if that's okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, maybe we can start by you telling the audience what it was that attracted you to cardiology um, in the first place as a as a trainee? So as a medical trainee, I knew that I wanted to do a specialty that had a good mix of inpatient and outpatient work um, and that had a practical component. And I think that cardiology uh, covers all of those um, interests. Um, it's a good specialty because it's a very broad specialty. So you can mm -hmm. do very high tech um, aspects of it, such as TAVI, structural intervention, um, and EP um, devices and that kind of thing. But you can also do sort of more low tech aspects of, of cardiology, such as community cardiology and um, imaging and heart failure somewhere in the middle. Cardiac MRI is obviously um, fast moving and expanding um, and there's, there's always new technology that's coming out in, in cardiology and new ways of doing things. It's an evidence-based specialty. Um, so I like all of those things about it. It's also a very um, sociable specialty. There isn't really any other specialty in the hospital that I haven't been involved in in my last year of being a consultant. And you also get to work closely with surgeons um, and also with GPs. And often it's and it's a specialty where you can usually offer something to patients, um, although often it's not cure. And um, there's usually something you can do to help them with their symptoms. I mean, those sound like a great, a great list of reasons to do cardiology. And I think you're mainly talking to uh, the converted uh, in terms of this audience. But it's always nice to hear an individual sort of uh, preferences for cardiology. So you qualified uh, back in 2008. Is that right? From the University yeah. of Newcastle. I've got here yes. on my notes. And then tell me uh, your sort of journey to a consultant then how did once you started maybe specialist training in cardiology whereabouts did you do that and uh, and how did that go for you so i did my specialist training in the uh, northern deanery 
I started that in 2013. Um, and for those who don't know the Northern Deanery, it covers a, a large geographical area, um, really from Carlisle um, in the west uh, of the country down to uh, Middlesbrough and North Allerton uh, on the east side of the country and up as far as Newcastle and, and Northumbria. Um, so it's a big geographical area. Um, so I did training in various hospitals around there. I also did a two-year MD period uh, with Ensure in Manchester under the supervision of Matthias Schmidt, um, looking at cardiac MRI-based research. Specifically, um, my project was um, regarding risk stratification for dilated cardiomyopathy using cardiac MRI. Okay. And um, what was it that attracted you to do a period of research? Was it something you'd always been interested in or did the opportunity just arise that you, you thought you needed to take? Um, so I think a bit of both. I think that because cardiology is such a research-heavy specialty, uh, I did want to go and um, get, again, kind of further understanding and research methodology, um, learn how to critically appraise papers and, and conduct a period of, of research myself. Um, this was an attractive research project because it involved some clinical cardiac MRI as well, which I was looking to gain further experience in. And obviously... Um, from a personal perspective, you know, I felt that it would be helpful to improve my CV. Absolutely. And let, let's talk about sort of towards the end of specialty training. Uh, so you said you trained in cardiac MRI uh, and also in echocardiography and heart yeah. disease in pregnancy as well. Uh, yeah. And you also contribute to the heart failure service at your hospital yeah. as well as valve MDT. So a massive uh, amount of work there in terms of uh, subspecialty interests. What was it like looking for a consultant job and how did you how did you decide where you wanted to work and what kind of job uh, was going to appeal to you? What sort of the, were the factors uh, that led you up to applying and, and being successful? Um, so I think there's several factors. So I was quite lucky that when I um, was due to CCT, there was a lot of imaging jobs available um and uh, in the region that i wanted to work and i knew that i wanted to stay in the northeast because it's close to my family um it's close to my husband's family uh and it, it's where i trained and it's and i love the area mm. um so i i knew that and then in terms of thinking about where um i wanted to train there, like as i said there were a lot of hospitals had had jobs available and then it was just a matter of deciding whether I wanted to do a lot of CMR, whether I wanted to do a lot of echo, whether I wanted to get involved in other aspects, such as, like I said, the, the valve MDTs. And um, the advantage of working at uh, James Cook Hospital is that it is a tertiary centre, so I do get involved in in the valve MDTs um, and in the kind of T-wide CMR service. Um, so those those were the kind of aspects that that attracted me to working at James Cook Hospital. I'd also worked there as a trainee and really enjoyed it. I really liked the department. Um, I knew that it was a, a well-established department, which is um, the kind of department that I was keen to join. Um, I know that that wouldn't suit anyone, um, and I would encourage people to to think about that when they're applying for jobs. Is thinking if you, if you join a big established departments then you then the opportunities for driving change yourself are probably more limited than if you join a department that's less well established um such as um some colleagues of who have gone to work in in uh, district general hospitals um they um have been able to kind of shape the department and and, and make that make it more of their own 
but I knew that that that's not really what I wanted. And did you did you choose? Uh, so your post is is an NHS post. Do you have any sort of time for research, or and was that something you're interested in doing, or did you want to do a, a very heavy clinical uh, job in terms of working in a teaching hospital but delivering clinical care? How did you how did that come into it? So I knew that I prim- primarily wanted to do a clinical job, mm-hmm. um, and although I don't have uh, time for research in my job plan there is um a, about to um be launched a, an academic research unit at james cook hospital and um i'm sure that being involved in studies um will you know my opportunity will increase over time sounds good and of course you've got that md as well haven't you from from manchester yeah. as well yeah and so let's talk about the the transition then to becoming a consultant from a from a senior trainee so you did, what was it, seven years, I guess? Yeah, seven years of, of specialist training in cardiology. And you also had a year abroad as well in New Zealand, didn't you? Uh, you yeah, that was during me. my foundation period, yeah. That was foundation year, okay. So that was not in, yeah. in cardiology itself. No. What were the, what were the things that um, you would tell other people uh, that sort of happen once you get that consultant job and, and, and sort of tricks and tips and pitfalls and things to be aware of? Uh, let's say uh, leading let's say three months before you start in a new post when you've been successful at interview perhaps you've given you notice as an SPR or you've come off the top of the treadmill Uh, (laughs) can you talk about a few things that you think are important that perhaps you didn't know that other people told you about or you learnt yourself on the job Uh, so the things that I um, found most different is is the amount of autonomy that you have in your job planning um, so I think that that's something that people need to think about themselves um, and think about what how they actually want their job plan to look. Um, because I um, I guess as a trainee, you are sort of told that you do this clinic then and then you do this clinic then. And so um, I was surprised at the amount of autonomy that you have. So that's something that I would encourage all people to do is, is write down actually how you want your job plan to look or have a think about it, chat to other people in the department, see what the department actually want you to do so I knew that um that when I was going to James Cook they they really needed somebody to to cover the heart disease and pregnancy clinic so that's something that I knew that I would be building into into my job plan Um, and speak to people who work in other trusts as well and see what they have in their job plan I think um that's really a key part of it um although you can review your job plan periodically um and I had a job plan review three months after starting um and everyone should have that um I think that you don't want to you don't want to think that you're doing one job and then find out that the department is expecting you to do something completely different so I think it's good to kind of iron that out before you start um the other thing that um in the lead up is to sort out things like car parking how much on call you're going to do uh, decide if you want to work for you know full-time five days a week or whether you want to work less than full-time or work or do your job plan over four days so I do my job plan over four days and actually I find that incredibly um helpful um if I work on a weekend to know that I've got a day off in the week um and it just gives me um time to refresh um my mind so that um and I think it makes me do my job better when I am at work um, the other thing is things like find out whether you need to order your own LEDs um, and your own PE for people who do interventional work um, in particular. So I think that's important. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just just to jump in though. It does sound like you've you've really discovered some of the things that nobody really tells you about. Certainly, when I was starting, uh, I don't think any of those things were really discussed. And there is often a, a little bit of a tension, I suppose, between what the department wants you to do and and what you want to do. Uh, and these things are not always clear at the interview, are they? Sometimes that, as you say, after a few months of of being in the job, you can try and shape things a little bit, maybe towards what you are, are most interested in, whilst obviously balancing the needs of the department. And working the the four days or four long days, that's uh, I think is quite a new development, isn't it? Trust being up for doing that, um, and you find that mentally quite helpful, do you? Just to sort of give you time to recharge uh, the batteries before you go again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Oh, and was there any resistance? I mean, you don't have to. I guess it is. You, you've already said yeah. the trust, but th- this is something that's established, is it, in the trust? And other people are doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, not just me. Yeah, that's really good. That's that's really good. Um, and uh, you mentioned the old thorny issue of, of car parking uh, and ID badges and all those kind of induction things. What about more nebulous things like um, sort of having autonomy and responsibility for patients? Did you find that something that came as a bit of a shock to you or had you been kind of planning on, on you know, uh, sort of in- integrating that into the way that you practice before you became a consultant a little bit? I think so. And I think that by the time you finish training, actually, you're quite well, you're well trained in looking after patients. So I would say to people that they should probably shouldn't feel too anxious about that. And actually having um, the autonomy to, um, to look after patients yourself and make your own decisions about their care is actually one of the really nice things about being a consultant. And that's one of the things I really enjoy. Um, The fact that you don't have to um, just follow somebody else's plan that you think might not wouldn't necessarily be what you would do um, but then equally I think sometimes when I first started I found that because there's an array of, op- array of options um, whenever you are confronted with a clinical problem um, sometimes you don't know what to pick for the best um, but actually I think that it's important to know that there is several if there's several options chances are that all of those options might might be right and what's most important is probably to make it just make a decision and try to not get too bogged down with it but equally leave the door open to change your mind and try to and you know don't be so single-minded that you keep pursuing a single decision um which will be to the detriment of the patient just because you don't want to say that you've changed your mind or new new information has come to light yeah i mean and this is also i think the um the era of the mdt isn't it so there are always other opinions as well including consultant colleagues certainly in in my trust here in cambridge people are very happy for you to go and knock on the door and say you know what do you think about this situation what would you do and i think that's important to tell trainees it's not like you you're completely on your own and you know nobody's going to help you out and you know you, you sort of live and die by those decisions there are you know although you have responsibility for the patients um you there, there are people you can you know turn to for advice isn't that the case yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's always colleagues um, in your in your own specialty, um, in other parts of the hospital, if it's kind of general advice, um, or even in different hospitals. Um, there's there's always somebody that you can ask, and people do it all the time. Um, certainly, in my trust, even people who have been consultants for fifteen and twenty years, ask a friend for help. And I don't think that there's anything to be ashamed of by doing that. Um, but certainly I think that asking for help as well, just because your opinion might not be what people think is, is the best um, course of action. Um, 
and that's and that's their opinion as well so mm. you you do need to know that actually somebody else's opinion is just also their opinion right um but um certainly when i started um i found things like the valve mdts and we um, we've mdts to be really useful for um and i and i still do and and everyone um, in my trust uses them and, and they're really helpful um for advice and presumably uh, just to digress slightly you've been doing these virtually have you um with yeah. covid issues and things okay and do you find this still work okay virtually or are you sort of yeah, tra- really transitioning great. back to to being in the same room again uh so at the moment it's still virtual and actually the the real advantage of it i think is that the referring district generals can attend virtually so that the people who know the patients best can present the case um yeah so that's really great that is good isn't it what about other things um uh, Dr. Brown, sort of other advice to trainees. You, you mentioned staying on top of things, and I assume that means things like you know referrals and emails and all that kind of thing. Also, dealing potentially with your own secretaries, whether that's shared with two or three other consultants, as in most cases these days, or or your own secretary. How 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 has that transition been for you, and how do you manage to stay on top of things? Yeah, so. I think when you first start, it's quite easy because you don't really have that much admin or results coming back to you. So you can kind of, so you sort of um, think, oh, this isn't too bad. Uh, and then uh, one year on, I can say that actually there is a lot of admin that comes your way. Mm. Um, and um, really the best thing is to just try and keep on top of it. And um, when you have time for admin within your job plan, try and just do it then and just block off that time um and just um be quite strict with yourself about getting on and doing it um i'm quite lucky that i've got a very experienced secretary that knows how to get most things done in the hospital um but i think having a good relationship with your secretary and not putting unnecessary stress or pressure on them for example if you're always finishing things at the last minute and then expecting them to churn out letters with five minutes notice um that's that's not really helpful for for that relationship Absolutely. You know, that, that's not going to end well, is it at all? Brilliant. Um, anything else you want to to finish with in terms of advice that you'd give people? I mean, how are you how are you finding things now? Let's say, you know, you, you're just over a year, aren't you, into the into your consultant post? Do you feel like you're settled in or do you, do you still feel like a newbie, as it were? Um, no, I feel a lot more settled. I feel a lot more settled. Um, and I think that I've lost the fear. I think when I started, I I, I had a strong fear of just getting things wrong or not or not being um not being as good as the other people that I work with but actually um I've lost that fear now mm. and I just accept that I don't know everything and that I can ask for help um but other advice I would say would be um be nice to the juniors if you think about it five minutes ago they were your colleagues right um and it is stressful to be a trainee it's stressful to get your portfolio things signed off um and in you know in in a few years time they might you might want them to come and be your colleague so don't be don't be mean to them because you don't know when you might need them um and book holiday that would be my other piece of advice is when you start find out how to book holiday and get some booked because it's quite mentally fatiguing actually the first few months of being a consultant so just um, make sure you've got some time off booked. And how do you tend to stay relaxed when you're when you're not at work? Have you are you 
able to to exercise see family and friends and do things to sort of take your mind off things or do you find that you tend to bring bring uh, we probably all do don't we bring work home a little bit and you you know checking work emails at home or have you managed to sort of come up with strategies to stop yourself doing that and if you have can you tell me how to do it (laughs) (laughs) I think that it's inevitable that you bring things home I think it's inevitable that everyone has bad days when they just want to come at home and stare into space and not speak to anyone (laughs) and so um I I think people say oh don't have your emails on your phone but actually I find it quite helpful to have my emails on my phone and I can check as I go when I'm on holiday I tend to turn off notifications and then just check them once a day some colleagues don't check their emails at all but actually I find it more stressful to come back to 500 emails to have to go through rather than just kind of delete the unnecessary one as as I go and then flag up the ones that I need to reply to yeah that's a really good strategy and that's the, that's actually what I do I do the daily check but my wife is never too pleased to see me doing that but I agree with you the sort of mental image of an overflowing inbox and and things going crazy in our electronic health there record about you know you should have responded to this three weeks ago what's happening that to me is more anxiety generating than just a quick check you know maybe 10 minutes as you say deleting the ones that don't aren't really relevant and won't be relevant when you get back but um yeah there's probably no easy way or no correct way of doing it no (laughs) brilliant well thanks so much uh pamela for taking the time to to chat today i think this has been really useful for for people coming towards the end of their training um and uh, yeah thank you once again for your time okay thanks for having me (laughs) 